0: The song that Nia and friends just shared with us is one of the most familiar and popular songs of the past 50 years. It was written by Carole King in 1971, made famous by James Taylor, and has been covered by dozens of artists in the decades since. King is one of the most prolific songwriters of all time, having written hundreds of pop tunes, many of them now classics. But she says of this song, It was as close to pure inspiration as I've ever experienced. The song wrote itself. It was written by something outside myself, through me. One music critic described it as the perfect song. Well, we've been turning to some pop music songs to set up the messages in this series on change. Songs that echo many of the themes we find in the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. Two weeks ago, we began with Turn, 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 a song from the 60s that comes straight from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. We reminded ourselves that change is a constant in the human experience. Last week, we heard Dust in the Wind, an 80s tune by the group Kansas that captures the despair in the opening lines of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Both the ancient and contemporary writers are struggling with the transitoriness of life, looking for meaning in all of its activity and change. It turns out there are quite a few songs we could have turned to for this series. We could have gone back to Bob Dylan who told us 60 years ago that the times they are a-changin', and they still are. Last week, Leah called our attention to one of the most popular Disney tunes of all time, Let It Go, which happens to be an essential step in managing change. Now, you'll be happy to know that we didn't go with one of our early ideas and name this series "Cha Cha changes after the David Bowie song. Uh, The point of all this isn't just to be clever, but to illustrate the fact that contemporary thinkers and songwriters are often giving expression to questions and longings that people have struggled with for a long time. Questions and longings that are honestly and helpfully addressed in the Bible. And sometimes those creative thinkers and writers give expression to truths that were revealed in Scripture a long time ago. So when Carol King said she felt inspired when she wrote, you've got a friend, she wasn't far off, because the words of the song sound remarkably like one of the biblical texts we're going to look at today, a song of sorts that begins with the words, two are better than one, and goes on to describe the power of friendship. And it's a truth we find throughout Scripture and throughout human experience. We need each other. Human beings are wired for relationships. Those relationships are essential to a full and meaningful life and to navigating the challenges of life, including change. So we're talking about change here in the the month of August. Anticipating the changes that September will bring to our personal lives as as well as to the upcoming leadership transition here at Grace. We've identified three phases or movements in the change process, comparing them to the three moves of a trapeze artist swinging from one bar to another. Letting go, reaching forward, and taking hold. Uh, Well, Last week, Pastor Leah talked about letting go of the old and familiar in order to experience something new and good. It means choosing trust over fear when we're facing a change. And today, we're gonna to turn our attention to the second movement of change that we're calling reaching forward. And this can be the toughest phase of all. It's that between the trapezes time when an acrobat is flying through the air, having let go of the previous trapeze bar and reaching for the next, which hasn't arrived yet. And for a time, Like Linus, when his blanket's in the dryer, it feels like there's nothing to hold on to. A classic business text on change management calls it the neutral zone, because you're in a sort of no-man's land between the old and the new. But it doesn't feel very neutral to the person going through it. In fact, it's often characterized by confusion and disorientation and frustration. The neutral zone is that time between jobs, when you've lost or left one job and are looking for another. It's the first year in a new home or a new neighborhood, when you don't know your way around and everything feels strange. It's the week and months after a painful breakup of a romance or a friendship or a partnership, and when you wonder if you'll ever find a relationship like that again, or if you'll ever be able to trust anybody again. It's a season of infertility, when you've set your hopes on having a child, but it's not happening, and you wonder if it ever will. It's looking for a new church or a new pastor, when something or someone you've counted on for a long time is no longer there, and you have no idea what the new one will be like. There's no escaping the discomfort and uncertainty of that in-between time. So let's turn once again to this intriguing book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes for a few minutes. Let's see what kind of wisdom we can find for this second phase of change. And then we'll turn to a real-life example in this scripture of two people who found themselves in the worst kind of neutral zone. Let's begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now we mentioned the first week that this book called Ecclesiastes is is based on the life and teaching of one of the wisest men who ever lived, Solomon, who ruled over Israel for some forty years. Solomon experienced just about everything a human being can experience in life: power, fame, sex, wealth, achievement. But when all was said and done, he came to the sobering conclusion that if you have any or even all of these things, and no one to share them with, it's not only meaningless, it's miserable. And we get it. We've heard too many stories of celebrities, millionaires, tycoons, star athletes, who've surrounded themselves with the so-called good things of life, but find themselves desperately lonely, and sometimes in despair. But it turns out an awful lot of us are finding ourselves lonely these days. Just a few months ago, the Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, declared loneliness to be a public health crisis in our nation today and a leading cause of death among youth and adults. One expert suggests that isolation is as hazardous to your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Uh, surveys reveal that more than half of American adults report feeling lonely. Some are all of the time. And the number rises to two-thirds of Americans under the age of 30 feeling lonely. Three out of five Americans say they have no one they can really talk to when they're hurting or in trouble. So if we ever needed wisdom for managing change and relationships, now is the time. So let's keep going and look at verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Uh, The writer is describing two people on a journey. An ancient business trip of sorts, seems like. And when you think of it, a journey is the ultimate in-between time. You're on your way from one place to another place, but while you're on the way, you're neither here nor there. And as the text suggests, when you're in-between times and places, you're especially vulnerable. If one falls down, a friend can help him up, but pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Travel was difficult in the ancient world. Roads were rough and steep and rocky. Solomon describes one traveler stumbling, maybe falling off the path into a ditch. A friend can reach down and help him back on his feet. Or maybe the road is steep, and when one gets tired, he or she leans on the other. (laughs) Sounds kind of like when you're down and troubled and you need some loving care. Well, Solomon continues, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? In the ancient world, there were no courtyards by Marriott or Airbnbs to spend the night in. If you were alone on the road at night, you simply found a spot on the side of the road and threw a blanket over yourself. How much better when you could lie down next to someone, throw a blanket over the two of you and share the warmth, maybe talk yourselves to sleep. It's a picture of companionship, two people sharing not just a blanket, but encouragement and comfort when that old north wind should begin to blow. Back to Solomon. <clears throat> Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Traveling the ancient world wasn't just difficult and lonely, it was dangerous. The hills were alive with thieves and wild animals. They'll hurt you and desert you and take your soul if you let them. A person traveling alone was vulnerable. Vulnerable. But two people were less likely to be attacked and better able to defend themselves. The teacher's telling us that a person traveling alone is vulnerable, but a companion provides safety and comfort and a greater likelihood of success. And the neutral zone is a lot like that. Experts tell us that that the neutral zone is where people and organizations tend to get in trouble. Change is exhausting, for one thing. Everything requires more thought and effort, so we get tired and cranky. Change is emotionally draining. We can find ourselves tempted to do almost anything to, to feel better, even things that aren't good for us. Change is hard on relationships. And we can get resentful toward the people or circumstances that initiated the change. A spouse who gets a new job. A child or friend who moves away. An aging parent who suddenly requires care and support. Even a loved one who passes away, leaving you feeling alone in the world. Pastoral transitions can be vulnerable times for a church as well. There's uncertainty about the future. People may have different ideas about what direction the church ought to go in. There's a temptation to pull back a bit, to wait and see what happens rather than leaning in and pulling together. But wisdom tells us that leaning in and pulling together is exactly what we need. In any kind of change, having people in your life, people you can talk to, lean on, cry with, can make all the difference. I was talking with someone recently who experienced a lot of change in recent years, relationally, emotionally, even geographically. It was an incredibly lonely time. And in the midst of that season, someone invited him to join a small group of men who were getting together once a week. By his own admission, it's not his nature to do that sort of thing, but but he, he pushed himself to say yes. That was four years ago. Listen to to what he writes. We meet once a week for about two hours, share our lives, triumphs and challenges on a confidential basis, and pray for each other. We met in person for a time, but most often now meet via FaceTime, as one of us is now out of state. We also occasionally get together for dinner and to help each other out with projects, like moving furniture when one of us had to relocate. Living life together, it's a tremendous blessing. Well, you know you've got a friend when they'll help you move, right? (laughs) And that was just one of the many changes these men have experienced together. So it turns out that two really are better than one when it comes to change and to navigating the neutral zone. So each week in the series, we're looking for people in Scripture who experience change so we can learn from them not only how to handle it well, but but more importantly, how to meet God in the experience. So let's turn our attention to one of the most beautiful stories in all the Bible. The story of two women who experienced the worst kind of change and found everything about their lives up in the air. Listen to how the story begins in the opening verses of the Old Testament book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, a little background here. The days when the judges ruled was a literal in-between time in Israel's history. Uh, The divinely appointed leadership of Moses and Joshua had come to an end, uh, but the monarchy of of Saul and David hadn't yet begun. So it was a a political no-man's land, with one so-called judge after another stepping up to lead, sometimes well, sometimes poorly, but with no sense of groundedness or direction. It was chaotic. But when famine struck, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons leave their land and their people and head west to the pagan land of Moab to to make a go of it there. Things seem to fall into place until, one after another, all the men in the family die. First Naomi's husband, then her two sons. So here she is, a widow in a strange land, with two widowed wives looking to her for what's next. Now we know what a desperate situation it was to be a widow in the ancient world, uh, with no man in her life to provide legitimacy or protection, let alone companionship. So Naomi decides to let go. She leaves behind the life she's come to know in Moab and decides to travel back to Judea, reaching for whatever might be next. It's a neutral zone of the worst kind as she deals with the physical, emotional, and relational pain of a change she never saw coming. now She she doesn't doesn't want to drag these two young women into her uncertain future, into a land and culture they know nothing about. So before she sets out on her journey, she urges her two daughters-in-law to return home, to make a life for themselves in a familiar land and people. And one of them does. With hugs and tears, Orpah turns and heads home. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, says and does a remarkable thing. Let's pick up the story. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Talk about embracing change. Ruth lets go of the land and people and gods she's known and reaches for a land and a people and a God she knows very little about. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, she promises to be there no matter what. It's not just a declaration of love. It's a declaration of faith. And one of the strongest we find anywhere in the scripture. Let's just pause in the story for a moment here. Do you have people in your life like that? People who will be there for you no matter what? Family members, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you name three or five or seven of them right now? You can face anything when you have people like that in your life. Well, the text goes on to say, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on till they came to Bethlehem. So these two women find themselves in the neutral zone, in the midst of change. But they're not standing still, are they? They're not passive. They're reaching forward, reaching for whatever they can hold on to till they land in a new place. And what they ended up holding on to was each other. That was all they had in the moment. They had no home. They had no livelihood. They had no people. They had no plans. All they had was each other. But that turned out to be enough. Because what they didn't realize was that in holding on to each other, they were actually holding on to God. Now, now, truth be told, they, they had a hard time seeing or sensing God at the time. In fact, when they arrived in Bethlehem, Naomi tells the people there that the Lord has turned against her. She's so hurt and angry, she's finding it very difficult to trust God or even relate to God. Have you ever been in that kind of spiritual no man's land? When you're so disappointed or angry with God that you can't even bring yourself to pray or or open the Bible or show up at church. Sometimes it takes whatever faith we have left just to reach out to another person and allow them to to lift you out of the ditch or or to crawl under the blanket with you and cry or to stand shoulder on shoulder with you and fight for your life and your faith. Well, that's what these two women did. They held on to each other in that in-between time and discovered that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was not only with them, but was already swinging a bar of opportunity their way. And together, these two women reached forward, even though they had no idea what was coming next. They had no idea that Ruth would end up gleaning scraps in the harvest field of a kind and wealthy widower named Boaz. They had no idea that Boaz would take a special interest in this immigrant woman working in his field. No idea that Boaz would turn out to be a relative of Elimelech and that he had a legal right to take her as his wife, which he did. And they had no idea that the son born to Ruth and Boaz would one day become the father of a man named Jesse, who would one day become the father of a man named David, who would one day become the king of Israel and the ancestor of God's Messiah. You see, the Lord already had everything in place for them. One trapeze bar after another, swinging their way. All they had to do was reach for whatever was next. And the first one they took hold of was each other. And sometimes that's all we can do in a time of transition, when everything seems to be up in the air. Just take hold of the people God sends our way. Sometimes they're the people already around us. Sometimes they're people who are new to our lives. I'm remembering one of the biggest transitions we ever made in our lives, the move from New York to Boston and to Grace Chapel. Letting go of a life and ministry we'd known for many years and reaching toward a future that was completely unknown. And it was everything they say about the neutral zone, lonely and confusing and disorienting. But I'm also remembering the people God sent our way to help us through that transition. An older couple from our church in New York, who who drove up a few weeks after we moved just to bring us a meal and make sure we were okay. A couple of Grace Chapel elders who helped us unpack our boxes and set up the house. A handful of teenagers who showed up the house one night to take our kids out for a boat ride. I remember thinking, a boat ride, where? And what kind of boat? And who are you guys? But they were literally a godsend for our lonely kids. A group of women who'd been in a Bible study for years together, lifelong friends, who immediately opened their circle to Karen and invited her in. For the past 23 years, those women have walked with each other through all the changes that life brings. Graduations and weddings and kids moving away and the aging and passing of parents, retirement, health issues. Psychologists tell us that one of the most important steps in dealing with change is to find people to lean on as you make your way through. But it's not just good psychology, it's good theology. Because scripture tells us again and again that God meets us in our relationships with one another. In fact, did you catch the surprise ending to that passage from Ecclesiastes 4? It ends with a twist. Two are better than one the teacher says in the opening line, and for the next few verses, he expounds on the power of the beauty of two people doing life together. But he finishes with a new thought. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three? I thought we were talking about two. And who is this third strand? Well, it could be another friend. Certainly two friends are better than one, and Generally speaking, the more people we have in our lives, the better. But most commentators agree that the writer is pointing us Godward, reminding us that God is always there, waiting to be invited into the moment, to weave his goodness and grace into our relationships. In fact, God is so committed to coming alongside us that he sent his son Jesus into the world so that he could truly be with us in all the experiences of life. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus was entering a neutral zone of his own, heading for the cross and the grave, that he reached out to his friends and had dinner with them? Remember what he said? I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. And isn't it interesting that the main thing he told his disciples around that table as they entered their neutral zone was to love one another. We humans need each other. And often when we reach out to each other, we find Jesus there too. In fact, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, also based on the wisdom of Solomon, we read these words one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother that friend is none other than christ himself who promised to be with us here there and everywhere in between even to the end of the age but when you're having a hard time reaching out to jesus for whatever reason sometimes the best thing you can do is reach out to a friend. So that's our takeaway from week three of our series. Like most everything else in life, change goes better when we do it together. Like most everything else in life, change goes better when we do it together. When you find yourself in that neutral zone, when you're reaching for your future that hasn't arrived yet, You're not sure who you are or where you are or what God is up to. Don't just sit there passively feeling sorry for yourself. Reach forward. Take hold of the people God sends your way. We recently came across a story of someone who found herself in that in-between zone. And in her loneliness and disorientation, she reached out, found some friends to hold on to. Uh, Let's give a listen to her story, and and then I'll come back and wrap things up.
1: My name is Francine Edwards, and I've been a Lexington resident for the past uh, 59 years. My husband died in October after a, 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 a few months of illness. Fortunately, his brain was still working well but he couldn't walk. It's been quite a change in my life because not only was my husband living at home, but uh, health care workers were there 24-7, so they stayed over. They, they lived in my house. But they were all very kind people and very good to my husband. They took good care of him. And then when he passed away, of course, now I'm all alone in the house. So it made a huge difference. I miss him terribly. It really hit me that I needed to somehow be able to express that grief in a comfortable, safe space. And then I went online, and the first to, to find a bereavement group, and the first thing that popped up was grief to share. And lo and behold, here it was in Grace Chapel in Lexington, right five minutes from my house. Even though you have friends and relatives that you can talk to, somehow they just don't get it. They, they, sometimes I think people don't know what to say to somebody. How are you doing and how do I respond? But I found in the grief-share group that everybody understood. Even though their losses were different, the, 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 the emotions that people go through are quite similar. Just knowing that there were other people there who said their husbands were their best friends too. And that kind of made me feel, well, they know, they understand. In my career as a pastoral counselor, I have led bereavement groups myself years ago when I was younger. But you can't do that for yourself. You, You just cannot handle it alone. I still have days where I just melt down and other days where uh everything is so to speak normal. Life goes on and you can either choose to participate in it or not. I can sit back and wallow and say poor me or I can go on with life, not that you forget the loved one. But life does go on and, and God put us here to live our lives as best we can until we're called home. I think it's a process that, yes, you're walking a lonely road, but there are others walking that lonely road that you can share with and learn from and maybe comfort and help. It's a two-way street. You know, they helped me and maybe I can help them. Not that we advise or counsel but just in sharing our emotional state.
0: Wow, so much wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) It's age. (laughs) I love how Francine described her seemingly random, almost desperate grasp for something or someone to hold on to. She goes online, Googles something, and finds a trapeze bar swinging her away. A grief group at a church right down the road. I also love her honesty. I mean, here she was, a pastoral counselor. If anyone should have known how to find God and manage change, it should have been her. But as she discovered, you just can't do it alone. And that's true for every one of us or whatever changes we may be facing this year, as individuals and as a church. This isn't a time for pulling back, for hunkering down at home, for waiting to see what happens. It's a time for reaching forward. And that begins by reaching out to each other, strengthening our connections and discovering new ones. So as this new season approaches, let's lean into our relationships with each other. Let's show up for each other Sunday after Sunday, online or in person. Let's come together in prayer whenever your campus is doing that. If you're not in a group, now's the time to find one. Go to grace.org groups groups and, and find one that works for you. And we'll have some new ones starting up in the fall if you're walking through an especially difficult season of loss or change if you're having a hard time making connections let me encourage you to reach out to us at grace.org care we have all kinds of care and support ministries and people ready to come alongside you if you're not in that kind of a season yourself look around for people who who might be dealing with a change or a transition Reach out to them, meet them for coffee or dinner, invite them into your group, join the connection team on your campus and and help new people find their way in. I love the way Francine put it. Life goes on, she said. You can either choose to participate or not. She had suffered a terrible loss, a change she didn't want and wasn't ready for. But God had things lined up for her just as he did for Ruth and Naomi. A trapeze bar was swinging their way. All they had to do was reach for it. All they had to do was call. And when they did, they found a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you will too. Well, well, as we close, let me lead us through a guided prayer and helping us respond to, to what we've heard today. So so bow your head with me and think of a friend or two or three like the ones we've been describing today. Thank God for them by name. Next, think about someone you know who might be in a season of change and consider how you might reach out to them. And then finally, consider what you might do to expand or deepen the relationships in your life. What step might the Lord be inviting you to take this fall? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to think and pray about these things, about the changes in our lives and the people in our lives. Thank you for your promise to be with us in all the seasons of life. Open our eyes to the people you might be leading us toward and give us courage and faith to reach for whatever you have in store for us in the days to come. And as we do, may we find our way to your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.